preachers, you'll hear no finer preaching anywhere than what you're going to hear tonight. Amen. So welcome to all of our guests. We want you to enjoy it and be sure and uh, come back and see us again. And God bless you, Brother Ballester. It's been our honor to have you, Brother. Preach to us. Praise the Lord, everyone. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why don't we just give the Lord a good hand clap of praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. One of the hardest things that we have to process in life is the aging process. And we like to think that we're pretty much invincible and that we last forever. David had dreams. He dreamt that he would build God a house someday. And the problem was it wasn't in God's plan for him to build the house. And sometimes our plans aren't always God's plans. And we have, an ad- we have a problem here. We can either come along with God's plan or we can fight against it. So when God said, no, I'm going to have Solomon build a house. Uh, what did David do? Did he get bent out of shape and say, God, he didn't even have the desire to build you a house. I'm the one with a dream. I'm the one with a plan. I'm the one with a burden. Why would you let Junior do it? And God had his own reasons why. But here was the deal. David didn't get sold up. David said, well, I wanted to, but if I don't get to, I'm not going to sit back and criticize you. I'm going to help you build it. And if we're going to build it, let's build it exceeding magnificent. You don't use that word in your language every day. And he gave him all the gold he could come up with, all the silver, all the brass, all the iron, all the precious stones and jewels he could come up with. He gave it to him to assist him. My point is, in the church that I pastor, this is how I talk to my people. I may have six young preachers in the church. And you may not be the one that gets to preach that night. What do you do? Do you sit down and sulk because you're not the vessel of opportunity? No. You help them build the temple. You stand on your feet and say amen to them when they're preaching. It may not be you doing the special song. So if you don't get chosen to sing, what do you do? Do you show attitude? That seems childish. It would seem natural for us to help them build the temple and Respond to them, worship with them. You know, in every progressive church I've, I've ever been into, even in my church, which a lot of folks didn't think was very progressive, we had a lot of folk with talent. What do we do? I want to use everybody in the kingdom that whose heart's right, whose spirit's right. I, I told our preachers, you don't own this slot right here. I told our musicians, we're all doing our best for God. God's put us all here for a purpose, for a reason. So if you are put on a rotation, whether you're a guitar player or a drummer, I had good drummers, I had good bass players, I had good piano players. I had about seven piano players, and, and three of them were my sisters. Well, what do we do? We just put one up there. No, we want everybody to be part and parcel. And so when they would see a sheet up there, say, oh, I see I'm doing Wednesday night, Okay. Well, then, thank you, Jesus, we got to be part of what's going on in the house of God. My point is, we're workers together to see the kingdom of God go forward. 
And if God uses and includes other people to help build the, the kingdom, then thank you, Jesus. I got someone working with me for a purpose. For the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake. There's some folks that ought to remind, remind themselves why I'm here, why we're doing what we're doing. That's to see somebody find Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. If our purpose for being here is for the salvation of souls, then every song we sing ought to be geared towards that soul. It ought not to be every project we have, every outing we have, every men's group thing that we function, every ladies thing, it ought to be with souls in mind. It's more than just numbers. It's more than just camaraderie. This is all about salvation. And I want you to know it is an honor and a privilege to be a part of what God is doing in Baton Rouge. I'm looking forward to God taking this place to the next level. Okay, listen, let me show you something. As a preacher, you dream about what it would be like to have a good-sized church. and be. God never let me do that. And what I have seen is God do things with my children that he didn't do with me. I had one son went out and started a church. Easter he had 650, but he averages over 500. He started it in a storefront 13 years ago. I don't have those gifts or abilities. What do you do? Sit there and feel jealous because God let your son do you? That would be insane to even think those thoughts. I rejoice that the hand of God is on my children and they're involved in the kingdom of God. I have a... It's good. Here's my point. The bishop gave his all, gave his life. No one could have done more or done a better job than what Brother B.A. Spell and his wife Dorothy have done. Thank you, Jesus. We will honor them till we die. But it is the will of God for this day for someone with more strength, with more years, with more vitality. I just tell you, I'm too tired to fight some things. I ain't give up yet, though. Don't mess with me tonight. Tonight's not your lucky night. <laughs> but it ought to give us encouragement to see someone with, with youth come in there. And I'm, I'm not trying to just to call him a kid. I'm just saying when you in the retirement age group, you look at anything younger than you. I, when I turned 50 years old, I was doing some ladies' taxes and all my preparers had this over-the-hill birthday party, black balloons and everything. She said, this lady was about 85. She had Parkinson's pretty bad. And she said to me, uh, asked, asked me how old I was, and I said, 50. She said, young man, you don't know how young you really are. And I want you to know, we look at somebody else, the police look younger, the Everybody looks younger when you get where I'm at right about now. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in Baton Rouge. I'm looking forward to hear some wonderful reports of the future of Life Tabernacle in Baton Rouge. So rather than any of us sitting back and fussing and fighting about who does this and who does that, let's become workers together. Remember that song they taught us in Sunday school? When we all pull together, how happy we'll be for... My work is your work, and your work is my work, and our work is God's work. And when we all pull together, how happy we'll be. That is all the announcements, and you may be seated.
Lord bless you. And that had nothing to do with my sermon. Now, what I'd like for you to do, this is going to be your last chance to stand for several hours. So please stand with me, if you would, please. While I turn to the book of Revelation, and I'm reading one verse of Scripture, and that's all the, the man with the magic in the background will have to do. One verse of Scripture. I'm reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and verse number 20. If this is your first time, I apologize that I'm the one that you have to hear. You come back next Sunday, and you're going to hear what an awesome preacher Brother Tony Spell is. You'll, you'll be thrilled. Amen. And if I lived in this area, this is where I would bring my grandbabies to church, and I'd make this my church home. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, and the Bible here is not trying to be sexist, it's referring to mankind. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. God bless you, and God may add his blessing to the reading of the word. God bless you. You may be seated. Three times God uses knock as an illustration to convey his love. I want you to understand the fact that he stood on the front porch and knocked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He does not call from afar. He comes near. He doesn't call from a distance, but he gets to your door. And let you know it's you personally that he is talking to. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject. I didn't hear you knocking. Could it be that God actually would knock on our heart's door and we would be so out of tune with the divine that we are not able to comprehend that it's God dealing with our hearts? I... I read in the scripture where it speaks 42 times. It says this, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. What's the name of the parish that I'm in right here? East Baton Rouge, East Baton Rouge Parish? Of all of the houses in this parish, he chose to knock on your house door. Of all the hearts in this parish, he chose to knock on your door. He picked you, not because you're perfect, not because you're good, not because you're rich, not because you're smart. He picked you because you needed him. He picked you because he saw you couldn't make it without him. He picked you because he loved you. He picked you when you weren't even thinking about him. I'm saying he's standing at your heart's door. Come on, somebody put your hand together. 
the longest day you live, you should be grateful that he stands at your heart's door and he knocks. How long will he knock? I don't know. How long will he deal with you? I don't know. That's up to God. That's up to you. I know of people God's given chance after chance after chance. And I can read you about Saul where he gave him one chance. It's up to you. How long will you wait? I read where the Lord said in the book of Genesis, My spirit will not always strive with man. How long do you expect God to stand at your door or not? I've watched some folks come to church week after week, month after month. Some have been coming for a year or two or more. And every time they come, they continue to sit back. Every time they come, they never come forward. They just sit there while God knocks on their door during the church service. How long do you expect God to keep dealing with you? I don't know. I don't want to preach anything contrary to what your pastor preaches. But I'll tell you this. My rule of thumb is, when people say to me, Brother Ballestero, how do I know whether or not God's cut me off or not? I don't know that I can tell you and give you an answer you want to hear. But my experience has been, if God has, if God is done with you, then why would He even bother knocking on your door? The very fact that He gives you another sermon, the very fact that He points a song towards you, the very fact that He builds you a prayer room tells me there's hope for you. And I want somebody in this house to know tonight, there's hope for you. Come on, worship the Lord right now. He's earnest. He knocks. I don't want God to get tired of waiting on me to get to the door. How does he knock? He knocks when pastor stands up to preach. He knocks on your door. He knocks when the singers begin to sing. And in a worship service, the saints begin to sing songs that get a hold of your heart. I thank God for songs that still do something down on the inside. Some folks write some songs maybe just to pay a bus payment or something. But God bless those who write songs that just make tears run down my cheek and get a hold of my heart. I'm telling you, God knows how to knock on your heart's door. Maybe He'll use your trials, your problems to knock on your door. Sometimes God lets a set of circumstances come together. And you have no other alternative but to fall on your knees and say, oh, God, help me. Maybe that was a God thing. God did that to get your attention. That could be God knocking at your door. Maybe it was your divorce that the Lord used to knock on your door. Maybe it was one of your addictions, or maybe it was something that you went through. It could be your pain. could have been your grief that you've gone through that the Lord used that to knock on your door. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your tears. Don't waste your heartache. It's there for a purpose. It could be it's God getting your attention. I don't know what you do here in Louisiana. I've never really lived here, although my folks did for eight or nine years. I've done a lot of my preaching as a young preacher in South Louisiana and East Texas. I felt 
and love of the food and the people and the, and the southern hostility. I, I like that. But I don't know if y'all do the same thing that we found ourselves doing where I pastored in northern Indiana for many years. One day in particular, one comes to my mind, I was expecting a certain person to come over to our house, not knowing exactly when they were going to be there, so you just can't sit by the door and wait all day. I was down in our basement working on some uh, a small engine. My hands were all greasy, and I got a part that I was working on trying to get it in place and get it taken care of, and I couldn't drop what I was doing. My wife was bathing one of the small children in the bathtub, and it was the baby was too little to leave alone in a big bathtub by itself, even in shallow water. You just don't do some things. But we had bigger and older children in the house with five kids. You, you got folks around. And I could hear the doorbell ring, and I didn't hear anybody going towards the door. I'm underneath. I can hear whether or not folks are walking upstairs. I knew my wife was splashing in the bath with the bathtub with the baby overhead. I could hear her talking, but I wasn't hearing any of my children go to get the door. What did you do? I couldn't leave what I was doing. My wife couldn't leave. But I didn't want that person at the door to leave. I, this is what we do up yonder. I said, Somebody get the door! And my job tonight is to come to this church and stand in this pulpit and say to you, God's dealing with you. He's trying to knock on your heart's door. Don't sit there and act like nothing's happened. Somebody needs to get the door tonight. He will move on. I read one of the saddest stories in my in, in Holy Writ is found in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. There's a, a new bride, and congratulations to the new bride over here on her happy anniversary for one month. That's what I'm talking about. And this new bride went to her house. It had a dirt floor, so she washed her feet before she got into bed, and she's waiting for her sugar booger to come to bed and the problem was the door was locked and while waiting for him she fell asleep kind of in la la land she thought maybe he was trying to get in but she couldn't rouse herself up enough to get up out of bed and let him in thinking maybe it's just a dream or something but after a while she woke up and realized that he wasn't there he had stood at the door and knocked, and knocked, and knocked, and no one answered the door, so he left. And when she went out into the streets, I do, I am not, oh God, we, we, we should, and we do and should have a, a problem with this kind of behavior. But in that day, this was not an uncommon thing. When they, she says to the night watchman, have you seen my beloved? Seeing your beloved, I was at your wedding today. You mean he's not with you? You was in there and you had the door locked. He was. They hit her. I'm not advocating hitting women. If you do, you're less than a man. If you do that, I, I you and me have, will never have anything in common. I, I, you, you're. Yeah. I haven't got enough bad words to say about you. 
Where I come from, we honor and respect women. Thank God for them. I, I cherish the one God gave me. And you would be wise if you did the same. Let me just say that she was mistreated by the city members all because she was asleep when the groom was trying to knock on the door. Why in the world is that story there? Is that just some kind of... Well, that's an interesting story. When you read parables in the New Testament, the Greek meaning of the word parable means to place yourself beside or compare yourself to and say, how does this apply to me? So when I read any story in the Word of God, if all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable, there's your relevant preaching right there, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, then there's a reason that story's there. And if I and if you are to be part of the Bride of Christ and He knocks on our door and we're sleeping, Folks, the judgment that we're going to have is going to be worse than somebody bopping a lady on, us, on the arm or on the head or something. I'm telling you, you've got to wake up to the church. I'm saying, wake up. He's knocking on the door. Somebody get the door. He will move on. If any man hear my voice, could it be that his knock is so soft that you can't hear him? knock. I told you about this drop-dead gorgeous girl that I fell in love with and I married 44 years ago. And this time tomorrow night I'm going to get me a kiss right there and a kiss right there and you ain't going to believe what's going to happen right there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, all you got's cooking. I got kissing and cooking. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it would be a shame to be in love with God or be trying to serve Him and everything die down on the inside. I try to keep the romance and my redemption alive. Can I get a witness here from, from somebody? You need to keep the romance of your redemption alive. But nobody told me when I married this beautiful brunette that she had a twisted mind. You think mine's twisted? <laughs> the girl cannot go to sleep unless she has a $12.88 Kmart fan in the house. Sounds like a little Cessna airplane engine. Look at me. I'm as bald as a cue ball on top. If air is moving in the house, I know about it. I'm not going to go to sleep with a ball cap on. There'll be no days like that. Well, you do. Thank God for iPods. I got me fan noise on the iPod, and I play that puppy. The noise is there. Sounds like a fan. It just ain't no wind blowing. So thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's these old geezers go on to sleep. There's workarounds. If you try, folks, just keep looking for them. They're out there somewhere. But what I'm saying is we have a lot of noise that we take with us in life. And we can't function without some of these noises around us. I, I don't want to call any names, but I had a friend... Uh, 
I, I don't want to bring Dude Cavanaugh into the story, but I, I had this friend that had a car, and he was about 16. And nobody told him about putting oil in a car. If they did, he didn't know where it went, so he never bothered. And one day, the most awful racket you ever want to hear started sounding going down the road. He threw a rod. Well, he didn't pull over beside the road. He knew he couldn't fix whatever the problem was, but it sounded awful loud and awful terrible. So he, by his own admission, turns up the radio as loud as it will go to drown out the noise so he don't have to listen to the rod knocking. Now, if you've ever heard a car come down the street with a rod knocking, you can hear that sucker a block away. Everybody knew the rod was knocking, but he refused to admit it to himself. He turned his noise up. My whole point is everybody else can see God dealing with you. And everybody else can see God trying to reach for you. But you've got your noise turned up where you refuse to admit that's God talking to my heart. I've come to tell you, God's trying to get your attention. It's God dealing with you. You need to turn your noise down and listen to the divine while he reaches for you. Your noise is too high. Is it that you can't hear him because the noise of your pride is so loud you can't hear him knocking? Maybe the noise of your attitude is so loud you can't hear him knocking. Could it be the noise of the cares of life are so loud you can't hear him knocking? Maybe it's the noise of your bitterness is so loud you can't hear him knocking. Maybe it's the noise of your lust and your pleasures are so loud. Could it be your pain is so loud you can't hear him knocking? Whatever it is, I'm challenging you. I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Turn your noise down. And somebody get the door. There are signs that you can't hear. And one of the signs that you can't hear is you don't respond when somebody talks to you. You don't react. You don't move. You don't change. My father used to preach. Say it, and I'd hear him say it in his sermons. The last thing you lose is your hearing. And I never really paid that much attention to it until there was a man in the church that I pastored, one of the finest Christians I ever met, Brother Henry Baskin. He was one of my ushers. He was about 63 or 4, and one day at work, Brother Baskin just crumbled to the floor and immediately went into a coma. The ambulance took him to the hospital. It was, it was horrible. They had big tubes down his throat, up his nose, in his chest, in his arms, in his legs, in his feet. I've never seen that many monitors on a man in my life. And I stopped at the door. I was the only one allowed to go on their sides, the medical people. His own family was not allowed in there. They let me in because they knew he was dying. And living in a Catholic town, priests are allowed to come in and give last rites. And so I was allowed to go into the room. Saints and his wife and two children were in the other room, but the saints were praying in a little waiting room. 
I prayed my little prayer for him. And I looked at the monitors. I don't remember if there was 10 or 15. There, there were just all kinds of screens and monitors and poles and stands and stuff. It was scary looking. And I, I prayed my prayer. And I, I just tell you, I was kind of intimidated by the fact of how hopeless this looked. But I, I gave it my best. And when I got done, I thought, you know what? No family is allowed to come in this room. It's a shame for me to leave so early. I may never get to come back here again. So I said, Brother Baskin, nobody knows what happened to you today except the fact that you passed out at work. And you went into a coma when you hit the floor. The ambulance came and they brought you here and your wife and children were notified. They're in the other room. But you're so serious right now that they're not letting anybody except the doctors, the nurses, and me in. I said, our church has gone, right? We've already started the prayer chain. People have already started to fast for you. The saints are praying in the next room. Your wife is taking care of, uh, she's, she didn't drive and he always bought the groceries. And so I said, everyone's attending to all of her needs. She's not going to want nor lack for a thing. Right now, we're worried about you getting well and you rest, you be comfortable, but you have this assurance that every time they let me, I'm going to be in this room, pray for you. The saints are praying for you, and we're just trusting God to bring you out. And I talked, like I, I, was, I spent maybe 10 minutes just chattering, talking to him. And every day for over three weeks, I came in for four hours, and I just stood there and I just talked to Brother Baskins, and I talked to him, and I talked to him, and I talked to him. After three weeks of no response, he sat up, opened his eyes. Before the night was over, he was out of the hospital. He, that was on a Friday. Church is a Sunday. He needs usher on Sunday. And when I walked in the door, he hugged my neck and said, Brother Ballester, thank you for coming praying for me. He said, I want you to know that I heard every word you said to me when I was in that hospital. I'm trying to tell you, you may lose a lot of things, but the day you no longer hear from him is the day that you become dead. Don't turn your ear off to him. Don't turn the preacher off. Don't turn the word of God off. Because when your hearing stops, ladies and gentlemen, it's over for you. It's over for me when we no longer can hear God speak to our hearts. Somebody put your hands together today. When I heard that my daughter was in labor, knowing that it was going to be a little girl, my wife was so happy. She drove up there and was there with my daughter, had been there several days in advance. I had just finished revival and I'm flying in on this Monday because we knew that she was going to be expected to go to the hospital. She was due on this day. So I, I had on some pink that day. You don't normally see me wearing pink. I'm not saying anything wrong with you do. It just, I don't. But I had, a, I wore a black Homburg and it said, had a sign in the front of my dress hat. I got a tie on. It said, it's a girl. And the flight attendants were smiling at me and them grandmas was, you know, they was proud that I was, you know, supportive of the home team. I got to Detroit. They took me to the hospital and my little darling has already been born, just a couple hours old, but already there's a problem. 
said, oh, Jesus, now what do we do? You're the grandpa, you're the preacher, you're the one that's supposed to have strength. I walked into that ICU. I picked up my little grandbaby. And I kissed her little face. I held her. I pled the blood of Jesus over her. I prayed that God would heal her and make her normal. We got bad reports back from the doctor. Getting only to see my grandbaby sometimes four or five days out of the year, that's normally around Christmas time. That's just like once a year, and for this grandpa, that's not, that's not near enough. My heart aches to see my grandbabies. And so I didn't get to come back until she was about seven, eight months old. And I'm sitting there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm holding little Ainsley in my arms. She's sitting on my lap, and I'm looking at her. Oh, she's just looking at me with them big brown eyes, and she's smiling and laughing. And she put little wet ones on my face, on my cheek. And, oh, Lord, it's not getting any better than that for me. And her brother, a little bit older than her, little Cade, barefooted, was tippy-toeing behind her, going to sneak up on her to scare her. They played good together. And I could see him in my peripheral vision, but I could not hear him, and I could still hear very good. And all of a sudden, her little head whipped around, and she just burst out giggling and laughing because she heard her brother tiptoeing on the carpet. And I sat there with tears running down my cheeks because my baby could hear. Regardless of what the doctor said, my baby can hear. Thank you, Jesus. And I know what it's like to be a pastor and lay my head on the pillow at night and say, thank God. Those new babes in Christ, they can hear. They're making changes in their lives. They're dressing right. They're living right. They're acting right. They can hear. No wonder he said, he that hath an ear to hear. Let him hear. I'm saying, I didn't hear you knocking. And I hope to God somebody in the house can hear him knocking. Clap your hands into the Lord. Some hear him knocking. And they pretend that they're not home. I don't know what some folks think, how stupid it is, how amateurish, how childish, how juvenile it is. You knock on the door, they won't answer the door, but you see the blind move. And you can tell they're home, they just don't want to talk to you. And some folks come to church, and the Lord knocks on their door, but they don't come to the door. And he knows that you're home. Don't let your heart go to sleep. Don't let your heart ignore him. I'm saying answer the door. Backslider, your noise is up too high. I, I, I go out in the woods. I, I used to run cross country when I was a kid in school. I never would compete with other schools, but I won chevrons and letters I broke records in every school nearly that I ever went to in running long distance. Uh, that, that was never a problem. And it always in, intrigues me when I see joggers are out there. They're running. And they got the headphones on. And they got the iPods. They're taking their noise with them. There's nature. There's deers and squirrels and birds. And, 
There's life right there, but I'm not interested in that. I got my own noise that I carry with me all the time. And backslider, it's possible for you to carry your own noise and have it up so loud that you don't hear him knocking. I'm telling you, turn your noise down. Backslider. Sinner, seeker, you've probably got the best chance of all of answering the door because you haven't learned how to become professional in tuning God out. You're here because you need Him, because you want Him. And when He knocks on your door, you hear Him knocking. And somebody may be saying to this house, I wish to God the preacher would hurry up and shut up so I can get down to that altar. I hear Him knocking. I just went open the door. Cold-hearted Christian, I want you to know you're probably in the most dangerous condition of all. You claim to know Christ. Do you realize the scripture that I just read to you in in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 was written to those who profess to know God. They felt like they had need of nothing. Not knowing that they were cold and not knowing what condition that they were in. They were unresponsive and yet they felt saved all along. I'm telling you, you need to let him in your heart. You need to let Him in your plans. You need to let Him in your marriage. You need to let Him in your life. You need to let Him in your hopes and your dreams. Somebody get the door. While we stand tonight, I want to say to you the way that you get the door. The first way to get the door open is to repent of your sins. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, it tells us there that... When they asked Peter what to do to be saved, he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What are you saying, Brother Ballestero? I'm saying the first step towards letting him in is to say, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And when you ask Him to forgive you, that opens the door of your heart to let Him come in. That grants Him an invitation into your life, into your world. He won't force Himself on you. He will knock, but He won't knock always. Somebody gave me a song, and I couldn't tell you the top 500 songs on anybody's chart, gospel or otherwise. I just don't listen to music, okay? I don't even get to listen. It's been almost 10 years since I got to listen to radio. I can count on one hand the number of times I've got to listen more than 15 minutes to a radio station in that many years. Uh, where I, I, It's just, this house worked out, and this was the guy that was the news addict. I had to listen to something 24-7, just radio talk radio stations it's not that I have anything against it it's just I haven't been able to get it I'm on the road it's possible for us to get into a place where we can't tune him in and we can't hear him talking to us I I hope to God that you can understand that this statement of coming in and supping with you and you with him is not there accidentally. He wants to talk to you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to interact with you. 
and yet your heart is not tuned to Him. This song that somebody gave me and let play to me one little phrase of it. It has to be a country and western song. I think they told me the title of it was "Thank the Way I Want to Go Out." Craig Craig Morgan. And one verse dealt with the fact that a boy went to church, and while the preacher preached about salvation, he got under conviction. He white knuckled the pew, but he left, got in his vehicle, said, "I I'm going to get saved next Sunday," and he had a wreck. And he died, and the singer says, "That ain't the way that I want to go out." Somebody has been in church, is what I'm trying to say. I preached in Orange, Texas, as a young man, and the Miss X, the former Miss Texas, I think is the way that you say it, was in the house, sitting with a backslider. At the end of the sermon, the former Miss Texas is sobbing and bawling and crying. A message in tongues goes forward. Conviction is strong, and people are crying. You can tell when it's real. And this backslider said to the former Miss Texas, "Don't let that bother you. That's just a Sunday night." Thing that they pulled, trying to get folks down to an altar, and neither one went to the altar. If you've ever been in Orange, Texas, and drive north going to Deweyville, Deweyville, it's a straight shot. You can nearly lay a rifle down on the yellow line and shoot a, shoot it, and the bullet will still land on on the center line by the time it gets. I mean, it's just and how you can run off of that road and hit a tree, I don't know. They both died that night. And you're listening to a man who is not a crash on the highway kind of preacher, but I'm just telling you, God don't always owe you the privilege of knocking twice on your door. Today may be your day of salvation. This may be the accepted time that God has chosen to. I'm saying, somebody get the door. This is your hour. This is your time. This is your moment. You say, what do I do? All you have to do is repent. And if you've repented, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. We're going to be baptizing people tonight and getting their sins washed away. It's a God thing when that happens, and God fills folks with the Holy Ghost. Let tonight be your night. While He's knocking on the doors, open the door and let Him in. While we have a song, I'm inviting everyone to come and gather around front. Say that yes to Him. Here I am, Lord. I've come to answer the door.